Welcome to Business Unmuted, the business discussion programme for the north of England, which is also available on all good podcast sites. The programme is brought to you in association with Virtue BMW, part of Gateshead-based Virtue Motors PLC. If you're in the market for a new used fleet vehicle, then its dealerships are in Stockton, Durham, Sunderland, Bolton or York. Uh, bits and pieces from the business agenda this week. The Treasury announced some good news. An increase in tax revenue and a fall in the amount spent fighting COVID has allowed a reduction in national borrowing. Also, an Office for National Statistics study showed only 8% of people who returned to the home uh, work from home during the pandemic had a full-time return to the office. Only 8%. 84% of people wanted to keep up hybrid working and they cite better productivity. And with the consumer energy price cap expected to rise to 2800 in October, a survey from HSBC affiliate Teal found that 70% of businesses, which by the way don't have the price cap to protect them, said that energy prices had held back growth in the last year. Now, my guest today on Business Unmuted, in the studio we have Elizabeth Grave, founder of Mocha Chocolate, the Yorkshire-based chocolatiers. Elizabeth, I can't wait to open these. We'll have a look at them in a minute. Uh, also, down the line, we've got Sam White, uh, chairman of uh, Freedom Group, and also we've got uh, Phil Foster of, uh, the, uh, uh, of the energy business... I'm sorry, our, our auto queue is struggling. Hey, Phil, tell us about your energy business. You love energy savings, isn't it? Yeah, we're crazy for it. So um, we're primarily based in Bolton, but now with the, if you just described the working from home and the flexible working, it's just allowed us to open that up national, which is which is mega. Okay, we well, businesses. We'll come to you for a proper description oh, in just so a moment. Have... I want to also introduce Sam because you're you're just breaking up a bit, Sam. Uh, welcome to the program. Uh, now, your business is an insurance-based business. It's got a large group, and uh, uh, it's a forty million a year, I think, is the turnover. Tell us about your business and what what you're offering to the business community. Yeah, so I'm. I started off uh, offering motor insurance in the UK, um, and that's still our predominant business. And we offer motor insurance for both personal customers, so your private car insurers, um, and also commercial van drivers, etc. your plumbers, electricians. Um, and then for some strange reason, um, probably just because I like to travel a lot and I've, I find setting up businesses fun. I also launched a business in Australia about 18 months ago, which is called Stellar Insurance. And that's an insurance brand that is specifically um, targeted at women and designing an insurance experience that's uh, a bit more palatable for them. Not that anybody likes insurance, let's be honest. <laughs> very, very interesting. I remember there was a brand called Sheila's Wheels or something like that that did female-only insurance. That was quite successful in its time, wasn't it? But it was very successful. We like to think that Sheila, Sheila's Wheels was... Um, a sort of prototype and, and we're the uh, the more modern version of, of that brand so we take a, a slightly different approach to how we try and build products for women. So Sam tell me about why you've entered such a competitive market. Insurance is uh, it, it, there's an element of dog eat dog isn't there it's, it's a commodity based price uh, a pricing system and, and, and how does a small uh, um, a small uh, business into the marketplace carve its own niche? It is. It is hugely competitive, um, much like, you know, most markets um, in the UK these days. But I think the important thing is that if you are 
trying to do something a bit differently and trying to create sort of good value for consumers or um, a, a, a different type of proposition, there's always going to be a space for you. And I, I also believe quite passionately that women should be more involved in financial services. Uh, you know, financial services are um, a, a huge part of the UK market. And I, for one, would like to see more women um, involved in setting up businesses in that sector. So so for me, I kind of fell into it. I don't think anybody really chooses to be in insurance. Um, but I'm very glad that I did because it's been a really wonderful journey for me. And I think we're doing some really interesting things with it now. Has the recent uh, climate in the economy changed the way that people are looking at insurance? We, we're going to talk about energy in a minute. Uh, presumably, you're getting a lot of cost pressure from your customers and your prospective customers may be coming from companies who aren't necessarily adjusting their premiums. Yeah, no, I mean, motor insurance in particular hasn't really seen a hike in prices. And actually, that's causing the industry quite a lot of pain in terms of their overall performance. But what I've seen is that people are more prepared to look at um, different types of insurance. So, for instance, during the pandemic, we launched a black box solution, which is mm -hmm. where you're happy to have a device in your car that will allow the insurer to see what kind of driver you are and you know what your habits are on a general basis which helps us to give you hopefully more competitive pricing um i think in the past people were reluctant to take those kind of solutions mm. whereas now when there's a, a really significant difference and we've seen in certain occupations where perhaps people were charged more in the past um because the occupation was deemed to be a high risk one from an insurer's perspective they are more comfortable to take those kind of solutions or take sort of um, solutions in which they're charged by the mile, etc. So I think there's been a fair amount of innovation as a result of, of the, the, the pressure in the market, but it hasn't necessarily reduced prices across the board or increased them. It's just come up with different solutions. Yeah, it's a very interesting. I, uh, I, I run a small business myself, 15 staff, people watching this podcast probably know that, but quite a few of my consultants do now go out and about now that COVID is uh, a little bit uh, less restricting and uh, we have company cars for electric vehicles interestingly electric vehicles are a bit more to insure than regular yeah. cars we're doing our bit for the environment but there's a fleet of four and it's costing more uh, and the other thing is when i've employed younger members of staff albeit um, it, there's obviously a risk uh, with a younger member of staff but you try and give a young person a chance uh, whether it be a camera person or a consultant and it hasn't just been about pricing the risk, it's about saying no. Quite a lot of insurers on business insurance, 25 or nothing. Yeah, it's it's a real challenge for the industry. And that's because, um, unfortunately, younger drivers are massively disproportionately likely to have a, a large claim. And in the UK, because there's no limit on liability, that large claim can wipe out an entire insurance mm. book. So young drivers terrify most insurers. And so anything that they can do to try and mitigate that risk is, is, is well received. And actually, you know, what we're finding is that you can help modify people's behavior by having the right technology. So, you know, if, if sometimes people are sort of on autopilot and they may be doing certain things that are dangerous, that they're not completely conscious of, being able to communicate with them and let them know, you know, you've exceeded the speed limit by X amount 
certain number of times of this week or you know you're driving down a road um in an erratic manner or, or whatever it is we hope will help prevent those accidents from happening and then you know on an overall basis you can start to reduce the cost of insurance for everybody so i'm going to come back to you for the free form discussion a little later but let's give the business a plug obviously there's business users watching this podcast listening to this podcast uh, what, what product would you of your group would you advise that they start to use well i mean if you're uh, looking for commercial motor insurance then i'd say go get a quote from freedom brokers um, and later this year, if you're a, a, a driver that would like an insurance product that's been designed from a female perspective, then buy the Stellar Insurance product. Fantastic. And they'll all be on the, on the internet. I'm sure that if we look at, look at it on the internet. We'll come back to you in a minute, uh, Sam. Thank you very much. Phil, I think we've got your, uh, your signal all clear now. So let's go back to where we were. You've started again in a competitive market. The, two, the similarities between both of you, youngish businesses, both in a, a brokerage type of uh, situation, both highly competitive, and you're selling to businesses uh, energy. Um, so why did you start to do it? What, what, what was the motivation for you to get into the business, Phil? Well, it's, it's really uncanny listening to Sam speak because I can kind of echo everything that Sam just said, which is, which is great. But you, know, you kind of fall into this and you look at how the retail stock broker market's operating. You just want to do everything a little bit better, a little bit more transparently and a little bit more simply. So we live by a mantra that is business utility made simple and try to dumb it down. So we position ourselves more of a retailer. And we, in the eyes of the, the business customer is, you know, we're a marketplace where utility products can be offered easily online. If you need assistance around the, the sales process, we're here to help. If not, then pick your products off the shelf, stick it in your basket, walk down the checkout and, and you know, and, and buy it accordingly. And a little bit like Sam, over the, over the last few years, as we can see business uh, energy prices increasing, We've had to launch other products around the family to actually help businesses offset some of that cost. So, for example, business water, business broadband, now into business waste that are kind of more robust to right to price rises. So that if your bills are increasing, say about a thousand pounds a year, it's okay. I can't materially stop that because I got I can't turn the lights off and shut the power down. I've got a business to run, but how can I offset some of them costs in other areas? So become more of a holistic view around business utilities, but keeping it all very, very simple. Well, we, we heard the off-gem uh, discussion on the uh, energy price cap for domestic consumers. Of course, businesses don't have an energy price cap, which means the market must operate more effectively to get the best deals possible. Is the market operating in a way that's effective or have all the prices started to cluster around very similar uh, tariffs? Uh, if we look no, at I gas and electricity first. Yeah, definitely. I think the important thing to do is just to take a step back and look at the market, which is really carved up into three specific areas. Whilst it all sits in the same, I like it to a fruit bowl, you know, but your apple is your domestic and your home energy. And then your banana is kind of like your micro and your SME business, so small to medium enterprises. And then right at the end is, is, is the large industrial users. And each market operates very, very differently around, you know, who buys what and, and the, the benefits of each. So we sit lovely in the middle around the micro and the SME business, and it's still highly competitive. You know, there is deals out there, but the deals are more expensive today than it was yesterday. And But again, to looking at being controversial, we probably forget, even at home energy, up for 12 months ago, home energy was really cheap. 
And it's kind of like we've got a good deal of mortgages for a period of time, and mortgage rates going to go up, and we, oh, it's going to go up. It's really expensive. No, but we've had it good for a long time, and that that end result's got got to change. So yeah, prices are going up, and maybe going up quicker than we'd like. But it's probably offsetting the the lower prices we've had historically, and you probably get to an equilibrium. Doesn't ease the pain, but you know, because that money that we we saved on energy a long time ago, I'm sure we've all spent it. So, uh, you know, it's coming out of cash flow right now, isn't it? Now, I was, I think you're absolutely right. And, and, and by the way, I can also see that this energy supply uh, issue, the prices of energy for businesses, it, you, you talked about the, uh, the, uh, the domestic, the micro SME and the large business. Uh, I was at a business uh, meeting yesterday with a large business but not a sort of industrial business. It was a large uh, retail-based business that had nearly 200 units, large units, a sort of shed-type units, and um, they had budgeted for a price increase at the beginning of this year of around a million pounds a year. It's turning out to be around six million pounds a year. Um, now, the twin uh, reactions to that are to force price savings in their supply chain in other areas and also there's a pressure on wages as a result. But the other uh, thing that they wanted to do is to go for an energy efficiency program combined with seeking the best long-term solution. Um, now, they've, they've, they've tried to look at uh, power suppliers that would put solar panels on their roofs and so on, so trying to be innovative. But th that, that may not be available to everyone, but basic energy efficiency is, and it was interesting they were talking about you know, salespeople that leave the lights on, for example. So that should be the starting point, surely. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, that, that's available. A big chunk of, of energy efficiency is common sense, isn't it? Mm. You know, the easiest thing to do at home is it gets cold and just turn the heating on full whack. Well, you, you sat there in your shorts and your T-shirt. And when most people are, can sit at home in shorts and T-shirt, I'm not saying you can't, you should be comfortable. But there's an alternative scenario to that. You know, we don't want to take this to the to the nth degree and the extremes, do we? But common sense prevails. I mean, to take my house, busy household with, you know, two fairly uh, teenagers and, and a young 20-year-old with the, with the lights on, the telly's on in every room. The can't, you know, everything's kind of working busily where, you know, you can just follow around and and turn it off. And even we've gone to, you know, lights that we can control via an app. Mm -hmm. So at least I can set it at a certain time and just blacks out. So that's uh, that's quite useful as well. Now, our next guest we're going to talk to in a minute runs an S a very much a micro business. And uh, what what generally would you be saying to micro businesses about using a platform like your own? And what kind of comparisons should they be making? Because it's not just about tariff, is it? It's also about the length of the contract. Yeah, and I, I, I think the first one is just get organised. And the, you know the good news in this bad news story kind of prices is that businesses are becoming more aware of savings. You know historically, one of our biggest challenges is apathy amongst businesses when it comes to switching boring old gas and electric. Uh, but now it's very very topical. So get organised, understand who you're currently with as your incumbent, what contract you're in, and when does that end? And you've got notice. You've got you've got the ability to to enter into a contract now in businesses up to 12 months in the future. So that means if we're confident that prices are going to continue to rise, still businesses are leaving it to the last minute to actually procure that new deal, which could be in 12 months' time. The price could be double. We're actually, so you get organised, understand what you can do, and then there's lots of opportunities out there now to self-serve and visit online stores like you would do as a general retailer buying any product, 
put it all in one place, have a look at it. If the opportunity that feels right, then buy it, great. If not, there's always support around the agencies to talk to businesses around why product A is better than product B, you know. And it comes down to contract length. It's, it's simple. Everybody buys differently. So how confident is that business that the prices are going to stay high for the next three years? Mm. If you are, well, buy it today's rate and future it. Mm. If you think that actually I've done my research, it's going to come down. Well, don't lock in for 12 months, not, not two years. So you've got the opportunity. But just beware, if you get it wrong, it's going to be expensive. If you get it wrong the other way, you're going to be paying a bit more for the next couple of years. So again, so it's Phil, just common sense. What choice did you make in your business? Did you go for a long contract, or did you Absolutely. did you fix it, or did you or did you did you keep it variable as possible? Yeah, no, three years, you know, on that horizon that you might in year year three be overpaying, but if you combine all the three years together, you, you know, I think that's a good deal personally. Sam, what do you think about this? Do you do you in your own business? What what kind of contract did you go for? Do you know? Uh, is it something um, you've looked at? You know what? It isn't something. I'm not going to pretend we have somebody that handles facilities and they will have taken a look. But you you mentioned about um, people working from home, and I think you know the benefits that we all got from hybrid working. We've been massively supportive of that. So mm -hmm. we have a smaller office space now. Mm -hmm. um, our staff don't have the same commute costs that they had prior. And actually, we're finding that people are just as efficient, if not more so. But more importantly, it's a better environment, I think, certainly for people with with young families that need that kind of flexibility. So, I, you know, I think there's lots of ways that you can, to, to, to Phil's point, there are other ways that you can find solutions. It's an incredibly difficult time at the moment for a lot of people. And I think as business owners, having that sort of collaborative approach with your staff to work out between us all, this is the environment that we're operating in, but how can we get the best possible outcome for all of us, I think is really important. Okay, let's just move on to our, our next guest, which is Elizabeth Graves. Elizabeth, look, these are great chocolates. It's mocha <laughs> chocolate. It's a family business. I'm going to open them. I hope you don't mind. Uh, uh, this is a very kind of you to bring them in for me as well. My goodness. And there they are. They're made in Richmond, North Yorkshire. Yeah. Look at that. I'll hold it up without dropping them off. Are they all handmade? Every single one's handmade, yes. In, in our new site at Ask, which is just outside of Richmond. So we opened that site in March. Mm -hmm. um, a dedicated chocolate making area with a cafe attached so people can have a coffee and watch the chocolates being made. So. And you've got a gift, uh, a chocolate shop in Richmond, in Richmond Town as Centre well. as well. If you've yeah. never been, uh, my other guests in North Yorkshire, the Yorkshire Dales, they run a great business, a very well-known business. Yeah. Now, tell me, we, we were just hearing from Phil and we were hearing from Sam about ancillary costs to businesses. Obviously, you're a micro business by comparison to some of the businesses mm. we sometimes have on. Um, do you look at the cost of energy in the way that Phil suggested? Well, we've had to. Certainly with the new, the new site that we've opened, um, we were bombarded with, um, with phone calls of, of agents wanting to sell his insurance. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about looking at how long my my rental agreement was compared to what the length of the of the um, electricity contract would be. And I just went for the one that was more appropriate for me at the at the price that was right. It was just when the Ukraine-Russian war started. So if I'd have maybe got in there a few days earlier, yeah. I might have got a better deal. But as it, as it turned out, it was... So you've accepted it and lived with it. And how long is it that to. you went for in the end? 
on your contract? Three years. Three years. So you did what, what Phil yeah. suggested. Yeah. Tell me then, uh, let's just move on to other things that we were talking about. Obviously, you can't necessarily work from home if you're making chocolate. No. But uh, you, no. Have a, you have a nice kitchen that sorts it all out in a cafe. Yeah. What, what is the economy looking like for you? Is the tourist pound back? The tourists are back. Uh, they started coming back earlier, we found this year. Um, but Easter, the Easter holidays were quieter for us. I think people are starting to um, realise that there's costs associated with with going away for the weekend and probably they're not going away as often as they probably were last year. Um, we've certainly seen a downturn in our income. Um, so we're, we're concentrating on getting the website up and running and, and pushing that a lot more um, as the gift market um, never really seems to slow down. So you're so. going for bricks and clicks in yes. selling these chocolates yes. and hopefully that, that will pick up. What about the actual uh, tourists and the service? You've got two uh, restaurant, cafe kind of uh, approaches and a shop selling uh, mm -hmm. chocolates. Are you reliant on part-time members of staff? Are yeah. you able to find the kind of people that you need? It, it, it's tough actually. We've, we've never had a problem recruiting. It's always been um, a place that people wanted to work, well known in, in Richmond. Um, but, it, but it has been harder this time um, to recruit. Um, I don't know why particularly, but you know, people do want to have part-time hours. They want to be able to be more flexible. Um, and we try to be flexible with our staff as well to be able to give them what they want. Um, we've got a member of staff who has term time working when mm -hmm. she's got her children at home. We manage to find a time to be off with her children, but that's not always the case. We can't always do that. Um, and we are seven days working as well, which means that weekends is inevitable in most cases. So. And what about innovations that you bring to? You've been talking about going online, but of course during COVID you were allowed pavement uh, uh, cafes or rather tables and so mm. on. And that, that restriction, uh, some councils are pulling back on that. I noticed in the Leveling Up White paper that was published last week, the pavement cafe culture is going to be encouraged again. There's a, there's a, a rule on that coming mm. through. Is that the kind of approach you'd like to see? More relaxed for pavement uh, We certainly would. I mean, there would be, it'd be nice to have more of a cafe culture around places like Richmond. We've always had outside tables anyway. Mm. Um, the main problem for us is when the, the licences came out, they were a lot more restrictive, which meant that the tables that we had had to be removed and different types of furniture were put out, which ended up reducing the number of seats we had outside. So it didn't really work for us. <laughs> any, any licensing, of course, creates a bureaucracy it around does. it. It absolutely does, yeah. I'm going to ask a last round robin question to everyone. Um, we've been hearing the government this week after the party gate uh, and the windfall uh, tax debates suggest that they're going to have some kind of stimulus into the economy uh, probably towards the end of this week. Uh, we're recording this and transmitting it live before that announcement. Sam, what would you like to see Rishi Sunak do as far as any stimulus for the economy? What direction would you like him to take? I think I would like to see him take a much more direct approach to getting the money into the hands of the people that do really need it. The, the cost of living crisis is hitting people at um, the, the, the very sort of poorest end of the communities very, very hard. And I think some of the solutions that it, they come up with are very convoluted and will take a lot more time to get to those people. So something around um, national insurance costs or VAT or something that gets to people straight away is, is what I would like to, to say. All right, and Phil, the same question to you. 
Yeah, mine's more around skill development, and we, we was a lot, lot of chat on that years ago, wasn't there? But it's how do we, how do we get the, the unskilled to skilled and, and, and get that stimulus working where we know a lot of business I speak to, the number one challenge is recruitment and workforce, um, and therefore there's a big opportunity to, uh, to fill that gap. Okay, and I'm, I'm going. We were talking about Rishi Sunak. It happens to be uh, that Elizabeth's local MP is Rishi Sunak. If you had him in your shop at the weekend, he has made chocolate with us. He has made chocolate with you, so you do know him. <laughs> what would you say to him now about what he should do to stimulate the economy or help people with the cost of living that Sam uh, alluded to? Well, I think VAT, like Sam spoke about, is really important. I think that is one thing that you should be looking at, and, and national insurance as well. Absolutely, I agree with that. Well, thank you all for joining us. It's good to have two women on the panel and not all men for once. So thank you, Sam. Uh, thank you, Elizabeth. And Phil, thank you as well. That's it for Business Unmuted this week. Join us again at the same time next week.